Welcome to Crawl Space. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here with Lance and Chloe today. What is up, you guys? We're here in the new studio. Wormtown. Wormtown, a.k.a. Worcester, Massachusetts. Feeling uh, feeling outstanding today. It's a Chloe, good day. Welcome, yes. welcome back. Welcome to the Crawl Space Studios, Chloe. Thank you so much. It is great to be here. Very exciting times. Cool. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Dean murder today. We've done three episodes about this Dean murder from 1919. Um, in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. And so this is the fourth episode that we're doing. Some of this audio is going to come from the meeting that we had with them in April of 2017 uh, up in Jaffrey. And we played some of that audio in episode three of our Dean coverage. The Dean Murder Research Group. A group of uh, guys up there in Jaffrey, mostly men. So pretty interesting stuff. They all have theories on this. So we're going to play some clips from that today. And Chloe... Um, you were at one meeting up there. I'm not sure how immersed you are in the ideas of uh, of the Dean Murder Research Group and things like that. I'd say I'm rather separated from it. I went to that initial discussion, but I was not available for the subsequent meeting. So I, this is kind of fresh perspective coming from me. Perfect. We need that um, because Lance and I know the story a little bit. So what we're going to do here is play a few clips and just kind of talk about those clips. And then we want to talk about uh, some characters or at least one specific, really fascinating character. Right. We've been getting some people who have been talking um, about the case. You know, they'll email us and, and uh, you know, we, we've been doing the case kind of sporadically over the course of the, the past few months. So, uh, you know, the, this this installment is, is due uh, for the people who are interested in this case. And I think what, what we'll try to do is introduce these characters um because it is it, there's a there's a lot of them it's a super dense case and there's a lot of interesting characters so we want to make sure we deliver the information as consumable as possible right and before we play our first clip let's just mention our live show with uh for the missing more Marty podcast it's going to be at the rockwell theater in somerville massachusetts's davis square on november 19th at 6 p.m. And we're going to have Maggie Freeling and Art Roderick, who were the lead investigators on the Oxygen program, The Disappearance of Maura Murray. So it's going to be Lance and I and talking to Mart, Maggie, and Art. And uh, so that'll be pretty fun. So there's a link for tickets in the show notes. And make sure you get those tickets as soon as possible because they are selling, as you would imagine, uh, pretty quickly. It's an intimate theater, the Rockwell Theater. And uh, very limited seating. I think the theater has 180 or 190 seats, and those are going pretty quickly. So um, would love to have everybody possible there. And, uh, yeah, your chance to ask questions, these questions to, uh, to Art and Maggie. Okay, so let's play our first clip here from the Dean Murder Research Group. So this is the scene of the crime. That's his house. That's another view. Were they, were they living there at the time, or at a cottage? Were they living at the big house at the time? No. The Deans lived in the cottage, right? Right. The they, they, it out. they built the house, and then they went into some financial hard times, and they ended up um, renting out. They moved into the smaller house and rented out the big house. Right. So the big house was what we first saw. Was That was the main house. That's where Colfelt rented. 
Right. Yeah, it was empty at the time of the murder. Why was it empty at the time of the murder? No one knew that. Left. Caulfield had left. They had had a dispute, and they were moved from Jaffrey to New Ipswich. The Caulfields? Caulfields. So there were. There was nobody in the big house at the time of the murder. He had gone about two and a half weeks, Mark, wasn't it? something like that, the time frame. Two, yeah. two or two and a half weeks. And that was, yeah. it was actually, they moved really? to Temple, Temple Greenfield. Greenfield. Yeah. 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 Same yeah. thing. Same thing. Right. 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 They, 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 they left. How long have they been there? How long have they been renting the house? Since a couple of years. October or uh, September, even of the year before, he had been he had come to Jaffe and rented another. This is Kofel we're talking about. He had come to Jaffe and rented <laughs> another house in like the summer of 1916. Then he came back and moved into the Dean House in the fall of 1917, and stayed through the winter. Which was who does that? Lots of people back at the time. Would come and rent summer houses in Jaffrey. Nobody rented <laughs> winter houses. Did they have another yeah. house somewhere? Was yeah, he was a wealthy man. He lived in. They had a place in New York. Yeah. So and this was and in Westchester too. Somewhere. Yeah, in multiple places. Do they know what were they renting for vacation or? Yeah, that's that's no, the big question. question. And the thing is, is, as you can see from the picture that um, Rob just had up there. It, 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 it's wide open. It's up on top of a hill, and you have a uh, complete panoramic, expansive view of Monadnock and the whole Temple Mountain chain. And um, you know, the speculation is about light signals, right? And um, the idea that then, even when Dean kicked him off the farm, he moves to Greenville with a location on the Temple Mountain. You know, so he. Yeah. he so from one mm-hmm. view to another. Okay, that was the first clip talking about Lawrence Kofelt a little bit, the uh, the guy who lived on Mr. Deed's property uh, up until right before he was murdered. Yes, exactly. Uh, Lawrence Kofelt was 40 years old at the time. He, um, he lived in the uh, big house. Now on the property, there was the bungalow, and we can hear the Dean Murder Research Group talking about this. There was the bungalow, which was the little house that Dr. Dean had built um, for him and his uh, well, they, him and his wife lived in it at the time, and they rented out the big house. They needed um, supplemental income, so that's how they got that. And uh, Kofelt was... Um, living in it right up until and they mention it's it's weird the time period that he decided to live in this town in New England it's not typically the time that you'd live there so that raised a little suspicion but uh Kofelt lived there with his wife and his uh stepdaughter Natalie winter is coming Lance winter's always coming (laughs) so you are from Jaffrey what what are winters like at Jaffrey because in, in this clip they mentioned how people do not rent places rent houses during the winter uh, I'm from Jaffrey. Uh, winters in Jaffrey were typically the same as any winter in a small town in New England. However, we're talking about, you know, the turn of the 19th century or the turn of the 1900s. And um, automobiles were very scarce and traveling during the winter is a whole different story back then. You didn't spend uh, the winter in Florida if you were uh, a certain age like you do today. No, I mean, Mrs. Morrison, um, she spent seven months out of the year in uh, in. Um, uh, uh, like I think a mile and three quarters away from 
Dean's house. So she was considered a neighbor, and then she lived the rest of the time in Boston. So much yeah, warmer in Boston. Much, much warmer. At least, the, at least the roads were probably a little better taken care of. So that goes uh, into you know the the suspicion of Colfelt and why would he be there during this period of time especially uh you know when you talk about the the lights that were coming off of Mount Monadnock or allegedly coming off of Mount Monadnock and the surrounding mountains and Colfelt had a car do we know more about his background Colfelt Colfelt was somebody who um we can reference Ryan from uh the I think that was the second episode we did of the Dean uh, the the Dean murder episodes. Um, Kofeld was somebody who was considered uh, at the time to be he was he was from America I believe he was born in um, his parents were born in Philadelphia Pennsylvania somewhere in Pennsylvania and he he had a wife and he had a stepdaughter and because of the last name it looked it had it had a very you know. European look to it. Uh, he was during the grand jury uh, testimonies. He was asked about his um, his uh, sympathies towards which nations during World War One, and he was repeatedly asked this, and he repeatedly answered uh, that he, you know, at the beginning of the war. Who did you side with? And he and he said, "Well, hands down, like I sided with the Allies. I, I I'm an American." But his his nationalism and his loyalty was often in question. And he was a man who came from an independent wealth, and he didn't have to work. And people often wondered where this wealth came from. And this was during a time where it was you 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 worked or you fought. And he didn't work and he wasn't fighting in the war so he worked on a shipyard and a lot of people question why he would work on a shipyard um when he didn't have to work so he 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 definitely uh raised the suspicion when he left when dean kicked him off the property and dean reported to have said to mrs morrison i'm too good of an american to have a a man like that on my property and when he left mrs morrison went on record at the grand jury testimony to County Solicitor Picard that Dr. Dean confided in her, quote, they left in the middle of the night and everything was left in very bad condition. Chairs were overturned, beds had been stripped, and there was as if a hurricane had gone through the house. Um, this was what Mrs. Morrison said to the grand jury, to uh, County Solicitor Picard, about the abrupt dismissal, uh, the the abrupt eviction of of Kohlfeldt on the property of Dr. Dean. So there are two factors that are questionable, where his loyalties were as far as nationalism in the United States and also where his money came from? Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, among okay. among a, a couple other things, uh, the, um, the, the character that we introduced last time, the, the, this Frank Romano character, who was... Kofelt's right-hand man and an Henri type person from what we understand. Okay, and here is the next clip. So that was, I mean, we, we have the, the theory that Mrs. Dean, which was the, the kind of the first thing, but was fairly easily dismissed. Then there was a lot of speculation about um, this Mr. Kofelt, who was living in the house, had rented the house, through the winter, why would anyone do that? Um, he was um, wealthy, independently wealthy. You know, wasn't working. Um, he 
was just sort of a suspicious character to have in Jaffe at that time. And whether or not then around the town it was speculated that he may be a German sympathizer. The people started reporting having these light signals that they were seeing flashing from Monadnock and Temple Mountains. Um, as I said, the Dean Farm, in particular the house where Kofeld was renting, has this unbelievably beautiful view of Monadnock on the one hand and Temple Mountain on the other hand. Um, so he had an alibi, but he was one of the suspects at the time too. And um, then the third suspect, the third theory that developed was around Mr. Rich. Mr. Rich shows up the next day with this huge black eye, had this story about being kicked by his horse, but there was no one to verify it other than his wife and sister-in-law. And, and the horse been was supposed to have been a gentle horse that had never yeah. been known to kick before. Right. That came out. Yeah. And then there's sort of a subset theory that maybe... Rich that it was that it was Kohlfeld, and the and a, with a German connection, but that he didn't actually commit the crime, and that Rich was either present was somehow involved in this, and he was either present, if not directly involved in the murder, but he was there, and um, so that's a theory and a subset, and um, then the fourth theory was the. Uh, idea that the barn was being used, or no, excuse me, the empty house after Kohlfeldt had moved out was being used by a group of young people in the area who were having parties there at night, you know, and uh, drinking or whatever, and that um, Dean had discovered them when he'd gone out to milk his cows late at night and um, got into a, a fight with them and that they accidentally killed him. But it would have been quite an accident. <laughs> <laughs> the thought of a group of kids accidentally killing Mr. Dean is kind of humorous because of the way he was killed and disposed of uh, extremely violently. It's not a bunch of kids. It was someone who knew the property well. Yeah, it would have to be somebody who knew the property well because they, the from from all indication, the the act itself took place in and around the barn and the cistern that he was put in was up by the big house. And if you were unfamiliar with the property, you would not be going towards what looked like the main house. You also never would have been able to find the cistern because it is ground level. So you would have had to have known it was there. Unless you'd been staking the house out before. And that means that it wasn't kids just messing around. Right. So that answers that 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 question there. Um, Chloe, you're nodding. Just from I mean, like I said, my knowledge about the case is pretty introductory level, but I did see, you know, the what was it? The sack that they had over his head. It was a burlap bag. The burlap bag. Like I saw the clothes he was wearing. I know the nature in which he was found and it was incredibly violent and intentional to me. So the idea that it was an accident, it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. No. It speaks more of a message. Yeah, and, and he goes through some of the theories here, uh, talks about Mrs. Dean and that theory being utterly ridiculous. Um, and then he talks about Charles Rich and Kofelt. Uh So th- th- that theory is a lot closer to, I think, what probably really happened. Yeah, and I think the um, 
Miss Morrison, the the neighbor, I think she is more of an important character, and we should get into her later on. Well, let's play the next clip, yeah. The the accounts of the light that they speak of on the mountains weren't just exclusive to Dr. Dean. Miss Morrison claims to have had, to the grand jury, claims to have had people at her property. Some of them might have been government officials. Some of them were neighbors, but they called up to her property, and they would stand and watch these bursts of red and blue and different colors coming off of the mountain ranges. And it was not explainable to them at the time. And this seemed to be a pretty widespread um, sighting, a widespread occurrence. Uh, another factor about Miss Morrison is that she heard she was one of the many people that heard a what seemed to be a high-powered automobile that night driving up to towards uh, the the Dean Farm. Okay, let's play this next clip. Right before this murder happened, or a week, ago, Romano left the employee of of Kofel. At the very end of July or the very beginning of August, the murder happened on August 13th. Now, right prior to that, the military was showing up. Uh, I believe the Navy, or the, some the Navy showed up in Temple, to, and they knew. They talked to Romano. They were looking for Kofo, and he. They knew that he was going to talk to Dean and Rich. So there's people coming around, sniffing around. Okay. All of a sudden, Romano decides he doesn't want to work for Dean and uh, for Kofo. So the thing is, is that if there was something going on and Kofal was increasingly getting concerned that Mr. Dean was going to talk about something, it would make a lot of sense to send your henchman who had a, a tremendous um, you know, knowledge of the Dean property because he was the barn hand and he was the one working in the barn where right. Mr. Dean was murdered. It would have been very easy for him to either stay in the barn or stay in the woods because Mr. Dean slept late and he milked, I believe, um, around 12 during the day and then he milked late at night around 11 or 12. So, and Mr. Dean was, you know, an elderly gentleman. So it would have been, you know, somebody like Romano who knew the property and knew Mr. Dean's schedule could have been sent there to keep an eye on him. But to that point, there's actually a different spot where the breach of information could have occurred where where did the where did the uh, conversation between Dean and Mrs. Morrison take place? That was at Mr. Dean's house on his property. She came to his yeah. house because yeah. she was looking for donations for the hospital. So she stopped by. Mr. Dean gave her like an antique or something to auction off, and that that's when that conversation happened. But the other thing that isn't widely talked about, and this is where if this theory of the Romano in the woods or someone in the woods, the question is, well, if that didn't happen, how could the bad guys have found out that Mr. Dean asked for her to get to sensibly? And the answer is, is that there was a concert that night in downtown Jaffrey, and Mr. Rich and Mr. Dean were seen sitting on the steps talking to each other during this concert. So... That is the other place where if Mr. Dean confided in Mr. Rich, who was his good friend, and mentioned what he had talked to with Mrs. Morrison, that could have been the breach of where Mr. Rich went and called Kofelt or told whoever if he was involved. So, you know, those are the two. Well, Ryan, what about if it had been when, if Dean actually did stop by Rich's house that night? It could have been that too. Um, you know, that very well could have it could have been the case. I really love the visual of Dean and Rich sitting listening to a concert on a hot summer night downtown, 
and Dean tells Rich this secret that ultimately gets him killed. Um, but it just it just feels right, doesn't it? That that I don't know that that visual seems like it. That I don't know. I could buy that. I mean, I could also buy the rustling in the woods, but I think it's a uh, pretty like non disputed that 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 did happen. I mean, Rich, the Rich, rustling you're talking about. Well, both. I, I the the meeting between Dean and Rich and and the rustling. Right, yep. uh, but but the meeting at the concert. I, I'm saying that maybe that was when Mr. Dean told oh, Rich, and specifically I think, yeah, then. yeah, and I feel like that. You know, while there's music going on, no one else can hear. You're sitting together, but no one else can hear you because you're talking and there's music going on. They're listening to that. By all accounts, they were. They were very good friends. Yeah. They had each other over one another's homes. They would play billiard together. Um, when Mrs. Dean started to um, exhibit more signs of being in poor health, that was when it was more of Dr. Dean visiting on his own and leaving um, his wife Polly back at, his, at the house. Um, so this was a relationship that had maintained for, for quite a while. And I would imagine if Dr. Dean told Miss Morrison, who was his neighbor, that he would find it to be, you know, kind of trustworthy to tell to tell uh, Rich as well. You if would he, think so. If he told Morrison. Yeah, you would think so. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, let's talk about one of the more interesting characters in this whole thing, Lance. I know you've been itching to talk about this guy. Well, we have to introduce him at some time. And the more you hold out on him, the the more it's going to not it's going to come too out of the blue. Yeah, Willie went to Curler is hands down the most fascinating person involved with the Dean investigation. Uh, not only were his tactics during the brief period of time he had in Jaffrey unorthodox, his entire life, I mean, before Jaffrey and, and after Jaffrey, was was something out of a novel. Uh, he he would present himself as a psychologist, a criminal psychologist, a doctor, a lecturer. Uh, he was a citizen of Poland. He lived in France, Germany, England during the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, he, he presented himself as a showman. Um, he he billed himself as the world famous Doctor W. De Curler. Uh, he was known in London as the Piccadilly Faker. He was really at the forefront of using criminal psychology or forensic psychology. Forensic psychology started in 1893. So, you know, we're talking a period of not even, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. He also dabbled in, in psychic abilities, extrasensory perception, and and he, he gave lectures on that. That's how he met his wife. Uh, he gave a lecture in London, and his wife was Elsa Scaparelli. So that story is fascinating because uh, Elsa Scaparelli was one of the most revolutionary designers of her time. It was Gaparelli and Coco Chanel. But before she became that, she was married to Dr. De Curler. And they became engaged 
only a day after their first meeting. So I believe it was the summer of 1914. Uh, they get married, and they they attempt to earn a living um, utilizing and try to monetize uh, De Curler's reputation as this psychic. So he's doing lectures, he's doing fortune-telling, and it was actually the fortune-telling that got him kicked out of London in 1915 because it was illegal. And they head to America in 1916. When they're in America, basically, De Curler is trying to play both sides during the Russian Revolution. And he's playing the side of, of a communist revolutionary, Bolshevik sympathizer, and he's actually looked into by the Bureau of Investigation. And it was while they were in New York that he says he was contacted by Frederick Dean, who is uh, William Dean's brother. He's contacted by Frederick Dean, and uh, apparently they had known they had known the Dean family, at least Frederick Dean. And uh, on August twenty first. Uh, Frederick Dean calls him up and uh, asks him to come up to the house. His brother's been murdered, and uh, and he agrees to come and provide his detective services. But what happened in Jaffrey, and what did this guy do uh, with the Dean case? Because it was viewed afterwards sort of as hocus-pocus, right? I think it was viewed during as hocus-pocus. Uh, he believed in in the, the cosmic energy of of someone who's gone through a traumatic experience, if, if their blood stains were spilled, he could take a picture of those and he could see the, the people responsible. He right, specifically right. said this so, in the Dean case. Right. So if there's someone murdered and there's blood spilt, you could take a photo of it, of the, of the blood splatter. And then if you develop that photo and zoom in all the way, you will see the pers- the victim's murderer in the reflection of the blood. So Frederick Dean was aware of this and invited him to Jaffrey to look into the case because of these psychic abilities. Yeah, I well, think people thought it was real. I people, think he, yeah. Okay. Well, I think he had developed such a. Um, at that time, he was living in Boston during uh, in 1918, and I think he had developed. He was he was pseudo famous. He had developed quite a uh, reputation for being charismatic, for putting on these lectures, for being outgoing about it. He, I, he basically. He basically became the father of this this new movement, this like new age type of investigating. Um, we can probably reach out to Ryan for uh, how Frederick Dean and De Curler actually. I don't even know if there's a document of how they knew each other, how they became connected. But again, he was somebody that was out there. It's sort of like reaching out to say. Like Doctor Phil, if you're having you know if you're having family issues, I would never reach out to Doctor Phil. Yeah, mm-hmm. Especially if I was having family issues. Well, Frederick Dean learned his lesson because he renounced him and for reasons that have been widely speculated, whether he was forced out or maybe maybe Frederick Dean just saw the error in his ways. But uh, the, the, the curler left Jaffrey and left them with a bill. I believe the bill was around $1,500 for his services and his expenses. And... During that time period, who knows? He very well could have, you know, made a lot of like positive movements in the case. Um, but he did shake things up. What was fifteen hundred dollars back then? Was that like the equivalent of thirty thousand today? Yeah, you know what? It, it would probably be the equivalent of yeah. I would say you're probably right around there, like fifteen, twenty thousand, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the inflation <laughs> yeah <laughs> inflation rate was back then, but. So did he have any conclusions about what he thought might have happened? He was convinced that it was uh, that Charles Rich was involved. There was a pretty dramatic moment 
where the curler matched scratches that were found on the wood of the of, of like a piece from the barn and the rock that was right like the rock step that was outside the barn he matched them with the scratches that were on rich's face that caused the black eye so rich had the black eye from the horse that kicked him when he, he had his pipe he said it was a glancing blow and a horse kicked him and publicly uh de curler matched those scratches up did did a uh, did a side by side comparison and and called him out on it. Sounds very dramatic. He he was very he had a, a flair for the dramatic and he had no problem. That was his that was his game. That was his uh, that 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 was his entire career. He was a showman. He was a showman. He was a con artist. You're flipping through the pages here. Are you going to read a passage? One of the things that De Curler says during the grand jury testimony to Oscar Young, the attorney general, is his his claim that Rich must have been at the property during the night of Dean's murder because he has this impress, this imprint uh, on paper of the wounds of Dr. Dean's head. And he makes this um, he makes this this imprint of it on the paper and he's matching it to the scratch marks that were found around the barn, just at the scene. So Young asked him at the grand jury hearing, was he present, he being rich, was he present when you were up here by the cistern and you put it on the stone? Now he says you put it on the stone, that's the paper that he's talking about with the with the imprint. And De Curler says, yes, that's right. And Young says, where were you when you put it up to his face? And De Curler says, by the cistern, up here, right here. And Young says, now then, tell us about that. De Curler's reply to this is, as I stood by the cistern and these gentlemen were all around, I said to Mr. Rich, Mr. Rich, when I came to see you on Saturday morning first, you had a cut from here to there, a longer cut from here to there, and one also from here to there. Now it looks really too strange indeed those marks coincide, and I methodically showed it. I said, you can see for yourself this mark would be fitting here. The other one would hit there, and this might, you see, actually cut the earlobe like that. The other, I presume, it might not, perhaps. This dent, that would go here, as the instrument fell against the face of the man. It might have been the second or perhaps the third prong that had cut the ear as the instrument fell outside the door on the porch. Now, what he's doing here is he's standing by the cistern with Rich, with other people around, and he's got this imprint that he has taken from the wounds on on William Dean's head. And he is matching them to Rich's face, to the wounds that are on Rich's face right around the black eye. Well, he describes Mr. Rich as very livid and not at all composed. So that's just one example of how he shook things up. At the grand jury, he was asked by one of the jurymen, do I understand it to be possible for anyone knowing Mr. Rich to recognize his likeness from this photograph, from the faces that are seen in the photograph. So he claimed to have seen Mr. Rich's face in the photograph, in the bloodstains. How do you even deny that? How do you, how do you dispute that? Well, he, he, he backed it up by saying, if there were 100 people that would see it, at least 90% of the people would see these things. And he said, others are... Others are rather stunned. In, in other words, people look at things in, diff- in a different way. You see, not all of us have the artist's eye. 
nor have we an impressionistic eye, nor do we concentrate in the same way. Some people concentrate without information in their mind. Other people have information in their mind when they concentrate. That's the difference between the inventor and the ordinary man. <laughs> so can't you see him? I mean, this is he's got this accent, right? And he's he's talking to these people in the you know the Keene courthouse, and they're probably looking at him like, and what is he? What is this guy? Who is this guy? Like he was once called in in London the the Piccadilly Faker, because he he would perform in uh, Piccadilly Square, and he had the reputation of being the sleight of hand artist, but sleight of mind artist. And now he's doing it to this grand jury and saying if and he throws out these sort of randomish stats. If you have 100 people, 90 percent of these people would be rather stunned if they had the 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 artist's eye. If you prevent them, if you present them, if they have concentration. So 90 percent of zero percent of people would see Mr. Dean in this reflection. Uh, Mr. Rich. Oh, sorry, Mr. Rich. Right. Yeah, it's ludicrous. And, and he's he stated that there were eight faces. In the in the photo, there were there were eight faces in all on several in several photos that he took. Oh uh, well, that's a lot of people. That yeah yeah, um, and then from the eight, he he recognized the likeness of three. Who were the other two? One of them being Rich, and I don't think he he actually uh, stated who the uh, who the other two were. I believe it was a, he he recognized the likeness of a female. Huh, interesting. But I uh, wonder why he wouldn't specify. Well, I, I think because he didn't. I think because he didn't know. Um, he didn't know the faces at the time, and he was familiar with Rich's face, and he had the. Inf- it goes to what he was saying. He has the information, so he had a certain way of concentrating. And maybe it's all baloney anyway. Probably right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but fascinating character and fascinating unsolved murder. Just one more quick thing. Please, just to, let's just, do it. Just to uh, Oscar Young, who was the attorney general at the time, seemed a little fed up with, uh, or or maybe a little amused during the grand jury, and he he asks. Uh, De Curler makes a comment uh, about the, the the picture being more of a symbolic picture, symbolical picture, and Young asks, "What is that symbol of?" And De Curler responds, if I were to speak to an audience, and Young responds with, call us the audience. <laughs> Which I, I don't know if he delivered it in the same tone, but you can just kind of see him shaking his head and saying, cut the shit. Cut the shit. This is, you don't have an audience. Call us the audience. <laughs> yeah. So as we continue our coverage into the Dean murder, De Curler's name is going to come up more and more. Uh, his techniques, his methods, the way the town responded to him, the way Frederick Dean eventually responded to him. These things are going to come up more and more. They're going to be fascinating. And I hope that the listeners are as fascinated with him as we are, because the more you read about him, the the more he just becomes this this character, like I said before, out of a novel, even even his death in 1928, the curler was murdered in Mexico, and the circumstances were never revealed. As far as I know, it's not solved. So here we have another mystery that that has, has been born out of out of this Dean murder mystery. Well, thank you very much for listening, and thank you, Lance and Chloe, for talking about the Dean murder. And we will be back soon with more Crawl Space. Follow us on Twitter at Crawl Space Pod. Thank you very much. Thank you.
When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.